0: Welcome to Stageworthy. I'm Phil Rickaby, the host of this podcast. You know, when I started the relaunch of Stageworthy after the hiatus, I wanted to do an essay at the start of every episode. And for the last few episodes, I have done that. But the problem with essays is that they have to get written and writing essays takes time. And since creating this podcast isn't a full-time job, it isn't even something that pays like a part-time job, that means that in order to create essays, I have to sacrifice other writing to get it done. And since I can only get so much writing done in a day, given that I do have to work a day job, as much as I like writing those essays, I don't like them enough to give up the other writing that I want to do. And there is a lot of it. I'm sketching out a novel. I want to turn my audio drama from this last Christmas into a play and maybe eventually a film. And at the same time, I'm working on the audio drama for this next holiday season. And while I'm doing that, I'm writing down ideas for a Fringe show, provided I get into one of the Fringe festivals I've applied to. So there's a lot of work that I want to be doing, but writing the essays takes a lot more time than I would like. I mean, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but it isn't something that I can keep up, especially if I want to get any other writing done. If I had more time, I could do it, but I have to be realistic with my time. So, I'm going to stop doing essays in every episode. I will do them now and then when I have something to say, but I'm not going to be doing them every episode. If you enjoy Stageworthy, please rate the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Ratings and reviews do help new people to find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. If you want to leave a tip for the show, you can drop some change in the virtual tip jar. I will put a link to that in the show notes. I also have a Patreon in support of this show. Stageworthy is a one-person operation, and so not only do I arrange the guests, edit the show, promote the show, create the music, I also shoulder all the financial responsibilities for keeping the show going. So your support would mean the world. For a monthly subscription of $5, I will take you behind the scenes on the podcast, do regular Q&A sessions, even present regular exclusive content for subscribers. You can find the Patreon at patreon.com slash stageworthypod. Remember, you can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at stageworthypod, and you can find the website with the archive of all episodes at stageworthypodcast.com. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Rickaby, And as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. My guest this week is Matteo Lewis. Mateo is a young singer, songwriter, actor, and pianist based in Toronto. At the start of the pandemic, he created and produced Quarantine Songs, a song cycle about different characters dealing with the pandemic, with singers from some of Canada's biggest stages. He also posts regularly to his YouTube channel, where he provides weekly analysis videos of some of the greatest songs from the musical theater canon. Matteo is passionate about musical theater, and he knows his stuff. I hope you enjoy this conversation in which both Matteo and I nerd out a little bit about musical theater and talk about creation during the pandemic. one thing that I wanted to talk to you about is is you wrote and produced uh, quarantine songs, and I want to get to that. Yeah. Um, But before we do, I want to talk about the process of being creative uh, during the pandemic. Um, What were you, were you working on something when in March of 2020? March of 2020, I had just
1: left school. Um I left halfway through my third year. I was like, I'm gonna start working in the industry and mm-hmm. you know, January, February twenty twenty, I was doing it and I was accompanying people and working on some cabarets and and uh rehearsing for like three or four different shows that were all going to happen in April and uh wont wah. wah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was kind of it was it was uh it was a little bit of a of a a bummer. Because it was it uh, well, a little bit of a bummer. It was a big bummer. But I was about to say because... that's a bit of that's a bit
0: of an understatement considering
1: <laughs> but, <laughs> but especially because it was like I had just kind of started doing
0: mm-hmm. the mm-hmm.
1: thing full time that I had always wanted to do. Um and then all of a sudden I, I couldn't do it anymore. hmm Yeah. So yeah. It, it, the timing was 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 really painful on that.
0: Yeah. But and, and what what did you I mean what did you do after that did you were did you just spend your time doom scrolling were you able to be productive or cuz I know I, for me um that the first 6 months of the pandemic was just I was unable to do anything creative
1: I it's interesting I I kind of had the opposite trajectory from a lot of people I know most people the pandemic hit and they instantly went, oh my God, this sucks. And they went into this like depression and the first few months of the pandemic were the worst for them. And then, you know, it hit the six month mark and they were like, okay, how are we going to make this work? What are we going to do? And they kind of got back on their feet. I had almost the exact opposite experience when it started. I was like, oh my God, we have to do whatever we can do to make art during this time and to keep people happy. And we're living through this like major historical event and we need to own the moment. And, and that was, that was very much kind of how I was feeling. And you can imagine my, my friends were a little bit, a little bit annoyed (laughs) by all of my, Oh my God, we should do this thing online and we should do that thing online. And can you record this song for me? And I'm working on this musical and, and uh, just in my in my spare time, because because that's that's the thing is is kind of what I do for fun um, when I don't know what to do with myself when I'm bored is I just like write songs and I sing and I, I, I don't really know what else to do with myself in those moments. Hmm. Um, And and so the first few months of the pandemic, I felt like a million bucks. I said, <laughs> listen, I'm going to take advantage of the time that I've been given to just be alone at home. I have. I, I was very lucky that I got to m- move back in with my parents at that point, mm-hmm. so I didn't have to worry about making rent, which was huge. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so, and so I I was locked up with my parents, which I mean was was uh, a struggle in itself. But I I didn't have to worry about getting a job and working yeah. through the pandemic. I just had time and space to do kind of whatever I wanted and go and go crazy creatively and get in shape and eat really well and take care of myself. And, and so I was really killing it. And I, I just, I just kind of burnt out after a few months of doing that right when kind of everyone else was starting to find their rhythm and figure out how to create things in the pandemic, um, in, in the way that worked for them. Mm. I, at that point kind of started to feel the burnout and, and it was fall of 2020. That was really, really low for me and huh. really difficult. Huh. I
0: mean, uh, there's, I've, I've... Talking to people, I know there's, there's like the people who were like me, who were like unable to do anything. And then there's other people who the pandemic hit and they said, well, we're just going to have to make this work. And of mm-hmm. they were doing shows on zoom and they were creating stuff and they were, they were starting to get things happening. And it was really exciting for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, trying to figure out how to do digital production and, and what mm-hmm. does that mean? Well, other people were like, well, if it's digital, it's not theater and, you know, all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but then I totally get that, like, especially if you were like motor and motor and motor, and um, that the fall would have been particularly hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because
0: I get the, you know, we had the summer. Summer was better. We were out in parks.
1: Yeah, we got to we do were, things outside. You know, we, we were did doing like things outdoor outside. concerts and out stuff.
0: Parks. Yeah, and then all of a sudden the fall hit, and we spiked again. And mm-hmm. it was back indoors, and couldn't do yeah. things, and had to avoid people, and to to go from spring, have a summer of doing things, and then a mm-hmm. fall where you're like back inside. That's that's like a bit too much of the elastic band snapping. I totally that's get what it burning is. That's out. That's what it
1: is. It was the it was the elastic band. It was the this is over. This is over. Uh, it's not over. Yeah, because I know I don't know about you, but when when in in the
0: spring. In the spring of 2020, when we Mm -hmm. shut down the first time, uh, I was, I think a lot of us were like, you know what, you know, a a month, two months, three months, we got this. And then it's all going to be back to normal.
1: That's why, that's why I was so optimistic about it too. Because I had, I just started really making, you know, friends and connections in the industry and spending my time working full time, doing the things I love to do, playing piano, singing, performing, acting, doing all of that stuff. And and I thought, oh, my God, I get three months off uh, to <laughs> two weeks off to take care of myself and rest up. And then uh, and, and uh, you know, spend some time online on as part of the in, in part of the social media uh, world, you mm. know, making and maintaining those those connections and and uh, those friendships that I had started making in January, February. And then things are going to be back and I'm going to be uh, like ready to go as soon as things open in you know June of 2020 and everything's back to normal and then of course that that didn't happen and i think i think i i really i had a i had an easier time in the beginning of the pandemic because i thought i saw a light at the end of the mm. tunnel and then when that light didn't come that's when i really really uh when when it when it really became bad for me and so that's that's kind of what what led to uh to quarantine songs because yeah. Um, I I needed something to get me out of the gutter, and working on that project was was kind of what kept me a al- <laughs> afloat. Yeah. In uh, in that that fall. Well, it, I mean the the
0: issue with with um, that whole you know was really I think a lot of us were optimistic at the beginning. Yes, some people were like the theaters are closed. We're we're doing digital forever because mm-hmm. the theaters are never going to reopen. And I was like, what kind of like death now are you like why are you ringing that bell the death of theater like there's never been Mm -hmm. a pandemic before this closed down the theaters Mm -hmm. but also um i know i i think a lot of us were were really positive at the beginning yes things were rough and yes there things were tough but you know um, we, we were certain we were going to get through it. We were looking at the numbers every day because we were waiting to see that, the that dip, but also kind mm-hmm. of doom scrolling through all of our social media feeds and all of that sort of thing.
1: And then, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Then here we still are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that, I think though that now with like the Omicron and everything, I think most people, um, and this isn't everybody but I I believe that most people have figured out their ways of coping that work for them mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. we've been through it so many times. Yeah. And so I'm not I'm not feeling from the from the community and from my friends I- in general. I'm not feeling as much of a death knell as I was feeling, you know, in in 2020. Yeah. I think we've all kind of figured out how to maintain a little bit more of that optimism cuz we need to, you know, in yeah. order to to keep ourselves sane yeah i think
0: the, the the real difficulty is the fact that you know we've we sort of uh, flirted with opening theaters in the fall and then yeah. suddenly plans had to fall by the wayside and things like that it's just sort of like mm-hmm. a tease but we're also like i know i felt this like yes omicron was was very um contagious and all that sort of thing but also there was like this hope of like You know, they say that it's if you're vaccinated, it's not that bad and all Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And maybe that's uh, something that we can look forward to. Maybe this is like the end. Also, I was kind of hoping that, um, you know, on Netflix, Tiger King sort of brought us into the pandemic. They had a sequel to Tiger King and that would take us out. But that kind of poetic (laughs) symmetry doesn't really happen in real life. So that's sad. Uh, If only, (laughs) if only. If only, but at what point did you start uh, composing the songs for quarantine songs? And 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 when did you sort of figure out that this was going to be a project that you were going to produce?
1: You know, it's interesting. I I started it right on like March fourteenth of twenty twenty. I I started it right away. I wrote the first like two or three ideas for songs. um, only I'm pretty sure only one of which ended up in the final project um but I started it right away cuz I just knew that I I knew that this was a really important moment and that people were feeling a lot of things and there were a lot of stories happening and everyone was sharing their experiences with the pandemic and there were a lot of there was a lot of doom and gloom and I felt that there was also a lot of joy there were a lot of people coming up with their you know, sourdough starters and <laughs> taking the time to, um, to get in shape and work on themselves or return to a hobby that they hadn't found time for in 10 years. There was a lot of good that was coming from it as well. Not to, not to negate the, the awful things that were happening and, and how, uh, how miserable we all were. Um, but I, I wanted to shine a light on the, the, Positives that were coming from it, because there was so much light already being shone on the negatives, and so I started writing about, uh, like I, I wrote one song called "The Short of Breath" song, which was about a uh, a guy who is in love with this girl, and they have Zoom meetings, and every time she pops up on Zoom, he gets shortness of breath and he's and he thinks he has coronavirus but really he's just in love um so that was that was the first one that I wrote um (laughs) and and uh, uh it kind of became a a hobby of mine you know every day in the in the beginning of the pandemic I would wake up early and make myself my little coffee and go walk down to the beach and and uh and write songs in my head staring out at the water and then come home and write them all down. And I, 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 wrote like 20, 30 little ideas for songs. Um, and then I, I never really did anything with it for, for a number of months. And I only returned to it in kind of the, the tail end of the summer and the the beginning of the fall of 2020. Um, when I, when I really needed a project to, to keep me going and something that could be produced digitally without, um, without sacrificing its, Integrity. I felt mm. a lot of a, a lot of. I didn't want to do Zoom theater. That was just trying to put in-person theater online. I wanted to do something that that was made to be online and and took full advantage of the medium that it was being created for. Mm. Um, because there's there's things that online, you know, digital-born work is able to do that that uh, a little bit more like what film is able to do. Um, that the medium of in-person theater can't do. And so instead of trying to force zoom theater to look like in-person theater, I wanted to be able to create something that, that could only be done online. And so I came up with this idea of doing these weekly songs. So every week I would release one song and I started doing that, I think on uh, like near the end of October, I released kind of the, the opening number uh, of, of the, the song series. And then, every week throughout the fall up until mid-December was was the last song Um, and I released them like every Wednesday night I had a little premiere on YouTube for each song and that that kind of it kept me going to know that every week I had a video to edit uh, so I had something to do that was worth doing and also it I I know I feel like it kept a lot of people in the community going to, to be able to look forward to a little piece of theater with some familiar faces appearing on, uh, on, on the YouTubes, <laughs> you know, once, once a week. Yeah. There's definitely something about having a deadline that is
0: <laughs> very yeah. motivating. And of course, you know, sometimes it's a deadline that you set for yourself, right? Well, um, exactly. Yeah. And It's hard, you know, deadline you set for yourself. Sometimes that's, you know, you're like, oh, I can miss it this week. I always feel like the important thing is to make a deadline for yourself that has consequences. Mm -hmm. If you don't do it like, oh, I told people that this was going to be ready on Wednesday nights Mm -hmm. and I'm scheduled to be on YouTube live and to do this premiere. So I have to do it. I can't. I can't. I can't miss it. Which means that you have to get it done somehow,
1: which means that you have to get out of bed even when you feel miserable and you feel like the world is falling apart
0: mm-hmm. and
1: forcing yourself to get out of bed when you feel down in the dumps in in my experience, best medicine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna
1: just lie in your bed, you're gonna you're gonna end up feeling worse. And so giving yourself a, a good reason to get out of bed when everything is dark and you feel like there's no point, giving yourself something, and yeah. it 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 can be something as silly as a bunch of songs that you pulled out of your bum in the middle of a pandemic, but as long as you've got something to get mm. you out of bed, uh, it, it's it's so just good for the mental health, and it's it's something anybody can do for themselves
0: mm-hmm.
1: when they're going through a hard time. Is is give yourself something to do to get out of bed for, even if it's something silly.
0: As far as the digital production goes, you know, being on putting the stuff on YouTube, what was your proficiency like with that? Were you, were you already doing stuff on YouTube or was this a, cause I know a lot of people, they figured this stuff out. They, they they didn't know anything. And if you'd asked them a year ago before the pandemic started, they would be like, I could never do anything with a computer. And then they learned that they could and they learned because they had to. But what was at the start of the pandemic? What did you know? What was your experience of of, of digital like?
1: I mean, I had a I had a YouTube channel. Uh, I've had a YouTube channel since I was in college and I would just like post every so often, you know, a video. Analyzing a different song from the musical theater canon, and that was my my shtick that I did on YouTube. But I would just like kind of put prop up my camera and just press record, and then record it all through in one long take, and then just hit upload. There wasn't a lot of editing and and uh, and video editing and and digital production that went into that. So when the pan- when the when the pandemic started, I really I got myself like a, a, a fancy like Mac computer, <laughs> and I got myself Logic, the the sound production software, and I started mm-hmm. playing with that and teaching myself how to how to like orchestrate and mix in in a very kind of basic capacity. And that was that was actually I found harder than editing the video. The video <laughs> you could just kind of like click chop chop and and put it all together. And if you didn't want to do anything too fancy, you know iMovie is pretty straightforward and it's pretty mm-hmm. easy to use. And with enough hours, it's kind of anybody can pick it up. But logic was learning how to how to produce the sound so that the 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 recordings of the audio of the music could sound the way I wanted them to. That was actually much more of a challenge for me to to learn. Well, there's, I mean,
0: the you know, like like you said, in something like an iMovie. Editing is super easy, you know, mm-hmm. like adding a whole bunch of stuff. Um, when I was doing my first uh, uh, Christmas audio drama, Um, I wasn't sure how I was going to put that together. And so I just like, you know, the layers of sound and putting all that stuff together, like to get it, you have to work to get the sounds the way you want them. And that was just in audacity, which is a very simple audio editor. Whereas something like logic is like a, is like an audio production suite, which is a lot more. So were you, did you, were you watching tutorials online? Were you reading manuals or were you just fumbling away to, to to figure it out? No, no, no,
1: there is, a tutorial on YouTube for anything you could possibly want to learn, anything <laughs> in the world.
0: That is there's... one of the great things about YouTube is there is there is a a tutorial for everything.
1: There's 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 a lot of there's a lot of uh, of confusing stuff that that people just upload and and it's not it's not very clear and it and it messes you up. But, but if you parse through that stuff, there's a lot of gems on YouTube. Mm. So I, I pretty much learned everything I know about audio engineering and stuff from, from free, just videos watching on YouTube. And then I also, I got a, a free trial for, there's this website called Skillshare, which I don't know uh-huh, if you've heard uh-huh. of it. They, they, they promote it a lot on YouTube. I get a lot of advertisements for it on YouTube. Um, but it's uh it's a uh, specifically for sharing online courses And kind of anybody who wants to can upload an online course of whatever subject they want. And it gets like vetted by their um, by their kind of people, their their committee or whatever. And uh, and if it meets the standards, then it gets uploaded. So, you know, you're getting like good, uh, like fact checked, um, clearly communicated Mm. courses and and it's like something like a hundred something bucks for the year long subscription, but you can also just get a free trial. So that's what I did. I got a, I got a free trial for a month and watched a bunch of Logic stuff, and uh, and then suddenly I was like okay at sound production.
0: <laughs> God bless free trials.
1: God bless free trials. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and
0: so you 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 did all that. How did you? I mean, you had when you were producing this, you had people performing it from from Stratford, the Mervis stages, Charlottetown Festival. Um, yeah, how did it was so how, cool. how did you how did you get those people? Did you approach them? What was that process like?
1: The great thing about the well, in some ways, it, it's a great thing for me. It's a great thing um, about the pandemic is that. A lot of really amazing people didn't have anything to do. And so it was the it was like the the best time in history for reaching out to people that you've admired for ages Mm. and chatting with them. Mm. And so many of those people who are like doing the thing that you want to do. So many of them want to be really generous with their time and they want to nurture the the next generation of of artists. Um, because obviously they're all fantastic people or or they wouldn't be where they are uh, but but they don't have that time ninety nine percent of the time. And so it was really lucky that this this period of time when you know, Charlotte Moore didn't have a contract. I got to send Charlotte a message and say, hey, like we've met once or twice, but here's a song. And I think it would sound really good in your voice. Would you like to sing it? And suddenly I'm working with Charlotte more and working with her on a song I wrote, like the, mm. I can't express to you how much I learned from that. And <laughs> and Charlotte, Charlotte and I are like great friends now. We go out for mm. coffee and it's just because I... I, on a whim kind of sent her this message.
0: I think the fascinating thing that you sort of like discovered and you found is, is, is the fact that, 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 and, and this is one of the most important lessons that anybody in the industry and in most industries I think could learn is that people actually do want to help you. Yeah. And all you have to do is is ask and if your ask is reasonable if you know if you're like hey write this show for me nobody's gonna say <laughs> yes to for that. free yeah but like if you're if you're just like i i have questions about mm-hmm. about your career about working at x or anything like that nine times out of ten mm-hmm. if they're available they will make
1: time because they want to help people like coffee people like cocktails if you offer to buy somebody one
0: <laughs> they will they will
1: chat with you and the the amount that i've learned just from just from buying someone a coffee and chatting with them and 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 it's 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 a really scary thing to send somebody you really look up to a message and say hey you don't know me but i i want to do what you're doing can you talk to me about your experience can you talk to me about your philosophies about the art and and the way that you're, the way that you think, and the way your brain works to create the things you create. Um, it's, it's a really scary thing to do that, but it almost always pays off. And then sometimes they're like, no, sorry, I can't, I'm busy. And that's fine. That it's, it's still not, it's still not actually embarrassing. Nobody, nobody judges you. And you, you think they're going to be like, oh, this, this dumb kid doesn't know what he's talking about, but but they, they don't. So if you're, if you're listening and you're just like starting out or you want to start out in any industry, like send somebody a message who wants to do, who, who, who's doing what you want to do and, and offer to buy them a coffee and just chat with them. And you will learn so much.
0: You know, fascinating thing is it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be just starting out. If there's somebody that you've always wanted to have a conversation with like it doesn't matter if you're starting out or if you've been working for a while, and you you just want to know what they know, ask, because like 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 we we're saying, people do want to help, and if they don't have time, they don't have time because they're busy, and some people are really busy. Um, I think a lot of times we, the fear of 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 what you're talking about is that fear that that like they are going to go this stupid piece of shit, what <laughs> like. Who are they to approach me? But there's two things to keep in mind. First off, the majority of the people in this industry are not like that. And they're happy to talk and they're happy to share their knowledge. Mm-hmm. And if they are like that, they didn't have anything to offer you in the first place.
1: Mm-hmm. Jerks. <laughs> <laughs> but but sometimes they're busy and that's, and that's yeah. fine. But yeah. He- it's it's true what you say. Actually, I I uh, yeah. I take I take that back. I really I really believe in the in the like beginner's mindset and in the everyone's always learning I, ideology. So if if uh, yeah, I, I I don't think you ever you ever know enough, and no. that you can't learn from someone else.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, and, and hey, and if,
1: if if you're listening and you're and you are one of these people who is very accomplished in your field um, and someone asks to buy you a coffee, maybe maybe you can also learn something from them. Who knows?
0: Well, this is the thing is I think that that if you're interested in people and as people who make theater and make art, we almost always are to some level interested in people. Somebody might might come to you and say, I've never written a song before. How do I go about it? But mm-hmm. there is probably something that they know that you don't know. And, or mm-hmm. at least even if it's like, Oh, we went, what, what theater school did you go to? How was that? Like, yeah, you can find out things just by having these conversations. And so it's not going to be a one way thing because like I said, we're, we're all interested in other people.
1: Plus if you get a cocktail out of it for free, that's, uh... I mean, <laughs> cocktail, coffee, whatever
0: it is, like just, You, I mean, the best thing is that you're going to learn something and both of you may learn something. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the other things is you, you, you on your YouTube channel, you don't just post the songs that you've created. You do like an analysis of songs from musical theater. How long have you been doing that for?
1: Yeah, I started doing it in college, um, which was, I, I think I started five, five years ago. Um, with an analysis of what baking can do from waitress, and I just kind of like put up a, a camera in my dorm room at Sheridan and just blabbed at it for <laughs> for twenty minutes and put it online and and uh, hoped people would give a shit what I had to say. And apparently they did because that video has like a bunch of views now, like fifty thousand or something. I I think at the la- at the last count. Um, So every so often, you know, when I when I felt the impulse or when I wasn't doing anything, I would record another one of those kinds of videos. I did like some some Jason Robert Brown songs, some Sondheim songs. Uh, And then I I did a few in the in the fall of the pandemic leading up to quarantine songs. Um, I did three or four in a row. And uh, but I never really did consistent uploads until just just recently, I think September of 2021. I started doing every Saturday, I, I made a commitment. I was like, every Saturday I'm going to post something on YouTube, um, either an analysis video or a breakdown of uh, of uh, uh, the structure of musicals in general. I, I, I have a little segment on the show, a little series called To Build a Show, where I talk about the staple musical numbers that you can find in almost every musical. You know, the opening number, the I want number, the act one finale and how each one of those works to serve the story and what makes a good one and, and what makes an effective one. Um, and then, and then just like little, little random bits and bobs about like how to keep your voice healthy, Mm. how to get an agent. Should you get an agent? Things like that about, about the, the industry. So that hopefully people who are like young, young performers who are, who are, uh, you know really really interested in in learning about kind of the basics of the industry as well but don't really know where to start um have this this YouTube channel where like i said you you can find tutorials about anything on YouTube even uh how to get started in musical theater <laughs> in Canada apparently now well,
0: I mean the, the what you're sort of describing about about this this thing there's there's a bit of a cottage industry of like podcasts that like delve into mm-hmm. a particular song and like deconstruct it strong mm-hmm. song song exploded, that sort of thing, but I don't know that I've heard something that does that in depth about uh, uh musical theater songs and like deconstructs them in that way. Maybe there is because everything that's already been done already exists, but um I haven't encountered that um what when you're deconstructing a song, like like how are you like how does that look? What are you what are you talking about? What are you looking at in
1: the song? So it'll generally start with I'll I'll start playing through the song and I will pause when something interesting happens in the in the music and that can be a, a note that doesn't fit in the key signature and what feeling does that create? Why did the composer choose to put that note, which isn't in the key signature, instead of uh, a note that you might expect to hear? And, you know, w- what are the lyrics doing? Is there anything in the lyrics that you might not observe on a first listen, but like the details of the rhymes and the the metaphors and the motifs, like how does this song connect to another song? Th- things like that. Um, The, the little details that we, we pick up on subliminally when we're listening to a song, but we don't really think about in, in specific conscious detail. Uh, I, I try to kind of highlight those things about... Because uh, uh, good songwriters will almost always put little things in their music, like a little, a little mel- melody in the piano line that resembles a melody from a song earlier in the musical. And what does that mean that that character is hearing the melody from that song they've heard before at this moment? What does that tell us about this moment? Things, things like that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. In like music theory jargon too, like, Oh, they're going from a two minor to a five major. And then you would think they would go to the one, but they go to the six minor. Whoa, (laughs) (laughs) things like that. And I, and I kind of explain, um, that stuff so it, it becomes kind of a music theory basics course as well as mm. we go through it. Um nice. and, and more than anything, just what are the what are the techniques that these composers are using to tell a story through music?
0: Mm.
1: What what are those little details that they're putting in to tell the story? That's that's my big my big soapbox. Hmm. That I'm, All right, that I stand on. Music yeah. theater
0: nerding out time. Okay. All right. Let's, let's do Alrighty. this because it's time.
1: Um, I, so
0: musical theater and ca- cast albums were my gateway into mm-hmm. theater when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Those were the things like I heard these because back in the day, like musical theater, that was just, like records, people had them all the time. Yep. My parents had a few. And then eventually I realized, oh, there's a story here. And so that was the yeah. thing that, that drew me in. So the musical theater nerd question that I have for you mm-hmm. is, can you name
1: your favorite opening number? There are so many good ones. I, <laughs> I, what I say on my YouTube channel is that an opening number should do three things it should it should set up the world of the show um it should set up the tone that we're going to be using to tell the story so if if this is a comedy the opening number should be a comedy um and if this is dramatic then the opening number should be dramatic it should give us a flavor of what to expect um and then it should set up something else. Go watch the video. I forget what, I forget what the third one is. Um, but I, I think that, uh, one opening number that does all of that really, really well is, uh, well, a a classic example is comedy tonight from a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a fun little story about that because Stephen Sondheim, who, uh, who recently passed away, obviously the giant of musical theater he wrote the music and the lyrics for that show. And when they initially wrote the show, there was a song that opened the show called Love is in the Air. And it was this cutesy little uh, soft shoe number that went, Love is in the air. Do, 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 do. And then it went into this uproarious, ridiculous comedy. And audiences hated the show. Mm. critics panned the show gave it terrible reviews said it's not funny and the people who wrote the show uh Sondheim included were like what the heck what's going on what's what's wrong and so they talked to I think it was Jerome Robbins but Mm. I may I may I may be uh misattributing this but they talked to some show doctor person who they really respected and they were like Jerome or whoever what's wrong with our show? And Jerome said, your opening number sucks. Your opening number makes everybody think they're gonna watch a romance, and then they watch like a really stupid, crude, crass comedy. So you have to write an opening number that's gonna tell them this is a comedy. And so Sondheim was a little bit a little bit miffed at that. He said, Oh, you don't like my opening number? Fine, I'll go, <laughs> I'll go write you an opening number that tells you it's a comedy. And so he wrote a song called Comedy Tonight. <laughs> and the show was a hit. <laughs> because if if you if you set up in the opening number, mm. um there's a there's a quote in Jack Viertel's book, uh, The Secret Life of the American Musical, which is a great book on the way that musical theater is structured. Um, and if I think I think it's actually Jack Viertel's quote, but he may be quoting somebody else. I, I, I'm i not sure. But he says, when the curtains go up, the audience is in trouble. And it's true. Mm. Musical theater is such a, a sensory overload. There's a stage, there's lights, there's costumes, there is an orchestra blaring. There are people singing high B flats like it's it's overwhelming. And so if you don't make it clear. To the audience, who's what, what's where, how they're supposed to feel about this and how they're supposed to respond and and tell them what part of their brain to use to engage with the material, tell them how to engage with what you're about to show them. They're going to just be super overwhelmed and confused the whole time. Mm. That's what Mm. makes musical theater so hard and, and why you have to be so much more clear in your writing when you're writing a musical than in any other medium, I think. Because the 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 medium itself is so overwhelming that if you don't if you don't communicate your story and your intention super clearly, your audience is going to the intention and in the story is going to get drowned out by all the bells and whistles, you know? Hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to share with you a couple of opening numbers that I quite love. Um, I'm excited. Um the opening number from Heather's beautiful.
1: <gasps> okay, yeah.
0: It does everything that you need it to. Do. In mm-hmm. fact, it even deviates from the movie Heather's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it takes you through what that movie doesn't do is tell you how did how did Veronica Sawyer end up with the Heather's? Yes, the movie just just automatically ends up with like she's here and she's mm-hmm. like the one their their whipping post or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's that. That song, that opening number sets up the high school. It sets up who Veronica is. It sets up who the Heather is and then pushes Heather and the Heathers, the Heathers and Veronica together. And that sort of launches the story into where it's going.
1: And it also kind of doubles as an I want song for Veronica because it's Mm. nine and a half fricking minutes long. But also you get to watch the protagonist belt their face off singing about their hopes and dreams. Mm -hmm. And. And the way that they see the world and the way that they contrast the world that they're in. And it sets up all of that, all of the conflict, everything,
0: which mm-hmm. is usually
1: usually takes a few numbers for people to set that up. You know, in in Wicked, for example, we have No One Mourns the Wicked, which sets up this really kind of judgmental, scary world of munchkins. And then we have The Wizard and I, which introduces us to this wide eyed optimistic green girl who we've instantly fall in love with in heathers. They do. They accomplish both of those goals, setting up the world and setting up the protagonist. They accomplish both of those goals mm. in one song. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: another musical that I think does something similar is my favorite year. Um <sighs>
1: The oh, song yeah. 20 million people does something people.
0: very similar and introduces not j- it like totally sets up the world of the TV show that 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 the character is in. It sets it tells you exactly who he is, mm-hmm. what he wants and who he is and who he's not. It tells you everything you need to know about that world before it's disrupted when uh, the the big movie star comes in later on.
1: Right. And what you say, like before before the world is disrupted, right, like before the inciting incident, uh, quote unquote, um, that's that's important because Mm -hmm. then we get the I want number of uh, of larger than life, which Mm -hmm. comes after the inciting incident when when he knows that Alan Swan is going to be coming to the station. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's it's the same in uh, in Wicked. The inciting incident is that Elphaba gets told that she's going to meet the wizard, and so she sings this song about when I meet the wizard so it's after the inciting incident and so in that sense, I think maybe um there's an argument there's an argument to be made that uh fight for me in Heathers is really the the I want number that happens after mm. the inciting incident
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah, but if we want to talk about I want numbers I mean there's there's also. A, a trope where there's sometimes two I want numbers one that happens before the inciting incident, which is a general want, mm. and one that happens after the inciting incident, which is a specific want. Mm. So in West Side Story, we have something's coming, general want, don't know what it is. Then we have inciting incident, Tony meets Maria. Then we have the song Maria. Mm-hmm. Now there's a very specific want. Same mm. with Dear Evan Hansen, we have waving through a window, I wanna be seen, I wanna be connected, general want. Then the inciting incident, we find the suicide note, quote unquote, suicide note. And then we have the second I want number, which is for forever, which is I want to be a part of this family.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: there's I think that sometimes
0: people who don't see a lot of musicals get stuck in the idea that it's too formulaic. But the formulas, quote unquote, formulas exist for a reason because they help to take you on a journey. They and you know, as you were describing the that moment before the inciting incident, that's like right out of the the hero's journey.
1: Oh yeah, um, oh yeah, it's been around for millennia. Absolutely,
0: <laughs> but I think sometimes people get people think of bad musicals that that stick so yep. closely to the formula that you can telegraph where they're going a mile away.
1: This is an I want number. Yeah, I want this thing. I want this thing. Yeah. Yawn, snooze. But I, I, I always preach, you know, that uh, to to those people. I always say, I mean, my 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 big thing is that musical theater is overwhelming. It's it's a lot of energy coming Mm -hmm. at you, and so the fact that there are kind of formulas to follow means that the audience doesn't have to be so overwhelmed by information and they can be overwhelmed by the spectacle a little bit more of people singing and acting and dancing. And then if you're in just a play where the only thing on stage is the characters talking, um, is a little bit less overwhelming to the senses, so you can afford to break story structures a little bit more. But when you have so much coming in, and I mean, the other thing too is the audience pays 200 300 $3,000 for a ticket to see it once, mm-hmm. right? So they can't miss anything. And yeah. that's why the, that's why the, the quote unquote formulas are important because we, we want the audience to already kind of know what they're in for and then surprise them along the way. Cause that's the other thing is if you set up the formula and then you break the formula, that's the real, that's the real fun stuff. Cause yeah. the audience thinks they know what's coming next because you've been following the formula so far. And then you surprise them. Yes. Whoa, that's the fun stuff.
0: I find there's this there's, you know, there's there are those people out there who are like, I don't like musicals. And they're along the lines of the same people that I think quote unquote don't like theater. Like they saw Mm -hmm. a bad musical once and now they've convinced themselves they don't like musicals. But the the I think the the difference is and and it, it in some ways there's so much coming at you, like you said, in a musical that um, the it, it can be overwhelming, but it does carry the emotions in a way because music mm-hmm. is a language that mm-hmm. we feel in our bodies. Yeah, and whereas you know language, we we sort of get in our heads, and and it can be more difficult to evoke emotion through mm-hmm. language. Whereas music is just something that if you play the right note, we know what that is.
1: That's the thing. Music songs in in particular, words and music together they they have this combined superpower because the words convey information and then the music conveys emotion and and the music the way that music affects us really i think is that it sets up an expectation and then when that expectation isn't met when it doesn't go exactly the way you expected it to go the difference between your expectation and then what you actually hear you, you feel that viscerally. it's a it's a physical surprise. It's mm. like a jump scare. it's it's not It's not intellectual. It's a visceral response. Mm. Um, and to combine that with with words that can intellectually communicate thought and story, it's it's just this perfect combination of head and heart. Um, it, it's it's really It's really powerful and it's and it's really unique in its power. Mm. But I mean, if you don't if it's not your thing, uh, that is also totally fine. I, Absolutely. I don't judge people at all who are like, I don't like musicals. And I'm like, fine. yeah, they're yeah. a lot.
0: <laughs> they are a lot. They are a lot. And, and, and especially if you haven't seen a good one, and if you know people who are like, oh, you got to mm-hmm. see this show, mm-hmm. you got to see this show. And you're like, look guys, I just don't like it when they sing. Mm-hmm. That's fine too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, you have far- to just accept everyone sings in this world.
0: Yes, I and mean and, and on... <laughs> sometimes sometimes that can be difficult and yet mm-hmm. and yet the strange thing is is that when we're children it is understood that in movies people sing
1: well and I mean depending on who you are <laughs> in like <laughs> I'm a I'm a grown adult and I break out into song every day so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah
0: but there there it's it's interesting to think about that that transition that that when we were children Most Mm -hmm. of the films that we watched involved songs and musicals and things like that. Many of the TV shows that we watched had songs. And then we get to a certain age and we're like, we're not singing anymore.
1: Well, all these all these children's uh, shows like Sesame Street, you know, uh, uh, Coco Melon is is one of the new ones. Mm. Um, These shows are designed for like kids who are so young they can't even talk yet. Mm. and it's all music because there's something about rhythm and and sound and pitch that it, it's just hardwired into our DNA to respond to a consistent rhythmic pulse mm. and it helps kids learn like it's it's been scientifically proven a trillion billion times that mm. you know playing music for your kids makes them literally just smarter it's <laughs> it's 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 pretty incredible the the power that music has on our on our brains
0: mm. um mm. yeah
1: and uh, it's a little bit disappointing that in 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 western culture you know in uh in like settler canadian american culture it is very um it, it, there there's a missed opportunity for the use of music throughout our lives yeah but in other cultures it's not that way there are many cultures in which music is an integral part of the culture from birth to the grave and i think the west i mean the west has a lot to learn but i think the west can learn a lot from those cultures and their relationship to music
0: yeah but even more i think there's something that we do in north america which is to discount theater in the arts. Oy. Whereas, if you go to Europe, mm-hmm. I mentioned on another show, coworker of mine lives and works in in Berlin, mm-hmm. and to them oh, and cool. the people of Berlin, they like theater is just a thing, and there's all these subsidies that companies the companies uh, uh, use to provide affordable tickets oh, to yeah. everybody, and the idea. The, that theater would be something for the elite is ridiculous mm-hmm. yeah in in, in in these countries, even in England, where you know community theater and the amateur musicals or the amateur theatricals that's a respected thing, yeah, and people get involved and it's important and, and and theater is a thing, whereas in North America we see it as as, as a frivolous thing and not important at all and it's mm-hmm. I don't know why we do that
1: it's I don't know. It's capitalism. I think (laughs) it's, Mm. it's the, it's the, well, if I'm not working towards making more money actively in this moment, then I'm wasting my time. So why would I waste Mm. my time, you know, listening to music and doing things Mm. that like feel good and fuel my soul when I could use the same money to buy a whatever app or a whatever device Mm. that's going to make me make more money and blah, blah, blah and it's it's yeah. sad there's a it's 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 there's a lack of connection to to the soul and to spirituality in general in in like colonial mm. western culture sure and absolutely. um and it's it's uh it's one of many reasons that that i i think that the 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 changes that are happening and the the kind of the the attempt to Dismantle some of the systemic supremacy of the colonial Western models of the world um, are those those things are happening and it's and it's why I'm excited for those changes is is partially because of the the way that the West treats emotion in general. Mm.
0: As, as, as uh, uh, somebody who's of, of, of Latin descent, who's, who's, who's your, you, I know that your mother is from Chile. Mm-hmm. Um, that's music is, I think, more of a part of the community and of, of expression in, in that culture. Um, how, oh, what yeah. has that meant to
1: you as a creator? It's, it's really, I don't know. I think, I think that. Music was always played in my house, and my parents always valued music a lot. And they put me in music lessons when I was very, very young, which is the only reason that I can do any of the things I can do today, because it's the kind of thing that, like, like I, I've just... It, it's, it's, it's my mother tongue, you know? I, I speak the language of music better than I speak the language of English or the you know, I I, I just understand it so innately. And that's because I, I was always surrounded by it and it was always valued. And and my parents are neither one of them is even remotely a uh, musician. They're they're both like math science professors. My dad works at Ontario Tech University. My mom works at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. She runs the MRI machines and takes pictures of people's brains like they they met getting their degrees in physics at McGill. Like this is not a a, a, these are not musical people, quote unquote, but they've still found a value for music in their lives. And they shared that with me and I kind of took it to the next level and made it my my career path. Mm. But you don't have to make it your career path in order to appreciate it. You don't have to be a musician in order to get so much out of experiencing live music, experiencing recorded music, experiencing live theater, getting yourself a guitar and learning how to play three basic chords. Like that uh, basic, basic access to music is, is so therapeutic and it is so scientifically proven to be good for you for, mm. for the soul and for the spirit and for your, for your mental health, which affects your physical health. It's, it's just, it's so important. Mm-hmm. And, um and I don't think, I think we need to get rid of the attitude that y- you have to monetize something or be a professional at something in order to make it worthwhile.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: Absolutely. then we can get rid of the idea that uh music is just for, the elite.
0: Yes. Or just for the people who make a living doing it. Like yeah. we should be able to just sort of play. Listen, you could do a lot with three chords. Punk rock has shown us that for sure.
1: Oh yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda showed us that. If yes. We you don't talk about Bruno, <laughs> three chords in that song. <laughs> Stay tuned for my analysis. If we don't yeah. talk about Bruno on my YouTube channel.
0: <laughs> um, As somebody who's been writing songs for, for a while, yeah. do you feel like you are working up to a musical? Is that something you have in you?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And definitely. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna write musicals. I, I, I write musicals by accident. Sometimes I just like, <laughs> it's just I just think in terms of it, because I've been surrounded by it so much. It's the language I speak. Mm. Um. I, I put on a, uh, a musical in the fringe a few years ago called Boys yes. Don't Cry. Yeah. And um, I've I've written I mean, when I was I was when Rob Ford was the mayor of Toronto, I, w- I must've been 13 or 14. And I got some of my friends from my high school together and we recorded, uh, a a concept album for a musical I wrote called Rob Ford, the musical. <laughs> and, um, so it's always been something that I've aspired to and something I've, I've tried to do. And, hmm. and I've learned a lot about, about, what it takes to do it because like I said, because musical theater is so sensory and you have to be so clear and so specific with your writing of it, you can't just roll out of bed and write what you feel and have it be a a good musical. Mm. Whereas some songwriters are just born with this like innate feeling for Oh, uh, maybe I could do this. This would be cool, or maybe I could do that. And there's a little bit less of a of a structure and a technique to it. But with musical theater, it's it's much much harder to do well and to connect to an audience if you don't know the the techniques and the skills and everything. Mm, and I've mm-hmm. been spending a lot of my time because I'm a nerd researching <laughs> all that stuff and sharing what I learn on my YouTube channel. So so I, I feel I feel prepared for. The moment when the perfect story comes across my table, and I say, "That's it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a month off work and write this musical."
0: Hmm. Nice.
1: That's nice. gonna happen. It's gonna happen soon.
0: <laughs> I have no doubt. I
1: have no <laughs> doubt.
0: Matteo, thank you so much for for talking with me today. This has been there's been a lot of fun.
1: Thank you, Phil. It was so nice nerding out with you. <laughs>